You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Don Vaughn, News and Observer politics reporter here in Raleigh with Will Doran, another uh, reporter on our politics team. Will Wright, uh, a politics reporter out of our sister paper, the Charlotte Observer, and Danielle Battaglia in D.C., who's our Capitol Hill correspondent. This is a special bonus episode of Under the Dome that we're getting out to you all the day after Election Day on this Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. So we'll start with the top of the ballot, the U.S. Senate race and the congressional races. Danielle, what are what are the big moments from from last night and going forward? Well, my biggest fear that we wouldn't have clear answers on who won was not um, was not a problem. We know that Ted Budd won the U.S. Senate race. I'm so sorry about my dog. We know that uh, Ted Budd won the U.S. Senate race, and that um, that we now have seven Republicans and seven Democrats in the U.S. House. So I'm kind of excited to be covering the 118th Congress with this new form of um, or this new makeup of both Republicans and Democrats coming in. Well, right. You were at the Bud Watch party yesterday. Um, Tell us about that was out in Winston-Salem, right? Tell us what the scene was like there. Yeah, I was at the Marriott in Winston-Salem. Uh, it was reminiscent of other political watch parties, if you've ever been to any. Um, it's mostly for reporters just kind of hanging around and waiting for results to come in. Uh, but we did have some uh, some some guests. Uh, whenever Bud won, um, Michael Watley, the GOP chair, and Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson both spoke before Bud was introduced. And he... Uh, yeah, I mean, he pretty much stuck to his campaign script. He talked about the economy. He talked about teachers' choice and educ or parents' choice in education. And um, yeah, no, no big surprises really from the watch party itself. I mean, it was just a jubilant kind of scene. And I'll be curious how Republican strategists will be looking forward from here, from forward to twenty twenty four. I'm excited to see 2024. I feel like there was a lot of um, interesting things that came out of last night from Trump candidates not doing as well as we expected to issues that Democrats thought would bleed into a lot of the party's voters coming out to the polls that didn't happen. Is that what you saw as well? Yeah, I think there was a lot of that. And um and yeah, I, I talked with Larry Shaheen this morning, who's a Republican strategist in Charlotte, and he was uh, he was worried looking forward for for Republicans, mostly because of of uh, urban areas in Mecklenburg and Wake County. Sherry Beasley did far better than any other U.S. Senate candidate since 2016, uh, any other Democrat since 2016 in those two areas, with the exception of Hagan in 2014, who did not as well, but pretty well compared to Beasley. So I think that he, you know, he's wondering about the impact of Trump going forward. And, you know, if he can really drive up turnout unintentionally in these counties, uh, you know, it could be trouble for Republicans. But but we'll see. Ted Budd didn't need those precincts. So I don't know. So I don't know. Do you all think there were more drivers driving issues for voters outside of abortion and inflation? Or do you still think those were the, the two top things as far as turnout? You know, I guess nationwide, but but looking more at at Bud since he was statewide, and then some of these congressional races. I talked to several political scientists this morning, who's telling me it was the pocketbook issues that drove people to the polls. It was the gas prices going up, it's the groceries going up, 
that um, made people want to come out and vote, like that's actually affecting them and um, their families personally. And so that's what seemed to have pushed people like Ted Budd over the edge to get the votes last night. What about what are the big things with the uh, the congressional delegation and how that's changed in North Carolina now? I was really fascinated because I was talking to our editor this morning about this. Um, we have five new members of the delegation. All of them came from North Carolina's Senate. And, um, you know, we went from an eight, five split. So eight Republicans, five Democrats, and now we'll have a seven, seven split. So that for me, that's fun to cover because we have issues on both sides that um, will, you know, kind of drive what our delegation thinks is important for North Carolina and will be less of I know that Republicans are going to vote this way and Democrats are going to vote this way, but I'll see both sides of that. I'm in the legislative building today, um, you know, as we record this and was just thinking about how different the state Senate is going to be to cover next session without Jeff Jackson there, without Don Davis there, without Wiley Nickel there, and then Ben Clark, although he didn't win his race, you know, he didn't run for for his, uh, his legislative race since he was running for Congress. So we'll have like a lot of new faces around here, too. Um, And then, of course, do you think that, you know, being able to serve in the state government before being in Congress, will how will that change how their perspective is versus if, you know, Bo Hines won, who didn't have any, you know, experience in, in government before? I was talking about that this morning with some of the political scientists, basically like talking about why. Bo Hines may not have gotten a win. And they were saying, you know, when you look at Madison Cawthorn, who became kind of our wild child party uh, youngster who was hard to control and didn't have any experience, people wonder if that's what drove the vote away from Bo Hines last night is like he was inexperienced. They didn't, he doesn't have any policy um, votes in his background. So they would be betting on another young person without experience where Wiley Nickel obviously comes to the table with experience. I think he's several terms in now from the state Senate. And so they think that was important to getting him some of that vote was because Bo Hines had initially aligned himself with people like Madison Cawthorn. And we saw Madison Cawthorn had lost the primary. Lauren Boebert lost, or is probably going to lose. I don't think she's officially lost at this point, but I think she's going to lose um, from what we're seeing. And so um, as I was talking to our experts this morning, they were saying there's obviously a line people aren't willing to cross, and we're seeing that right now. Do you think Wiley Nickel will will govern as more of a moderate than he did locally? Both I talked to Senate Leader Phil Berger and House Speaker Tim Moore today, and they both brought up that uh, Nickel campaigned a little bit differently, a little more toward the center than he did uh, the way he acted when he was here in the state Senate. I'm just going to say, I feel like nobody would call Wiley Nickel a moderate um, besides Wiley Nickel, maybe. But, you know, I'll give him an opportunity to show that he's a moderate in Congress. We'll see. We'll see what he does. What about what about you, Dot? I know you were at the legislature this morning. And um, one of the big questions on my mind is, Everybody knows that we're going to have another redrawing of the districts for the congressional map. And I know that's something that we talked about this morning with you, but I'm also interested in the legislative races and what's going on there. 
Right. I'm still over here. It's just been a couple hours ago that Berger and Moore uh, gave a brief availability with reporters because the Senate took a supermajority last night, just barely. It's going to make those of us that cover the legislature have a very interesting, high paced, you know, maybe a little stressful job next session and everyone else that works in the building, too, because it's all going to come down to who is physically at work every day for these votes. And uh, of course, these lawmakers, you know, theoretically is a part time job. Some of them actually have real jobs. And sometimes you can't come to the legislature because you have your other job or family or health or other reasons. But the exact numbers of everyone who's in the room and, and by in the room, I mean the, the House floor, the Senate floor is going to be a, a huge factor in what becomes law. So the Senate, these are all unofficial results, of course. You know, they haven't been um, made official yet by the by the uh, by the state. But assuming everything stays as it as it stands and it doesn't look like we have any runoffs last night, there were some close races that could have gone to runoffs, but they didn't meet the threshold. So the Senate has a supermajority with 30 votes. But that's if everyone is there. The House needed to take three seats. They got two seats, so they're one short of a supermajority. There were actually more significant than it appears gains for Republicans in the House because a lot of incumbent Democrats lost their House seats. So Republicans made gains that way. Um, But just because things were different and the maps were different, it wasn't just a few seats they needed. Um, They had to make, make more significant gains. So it wasn't enough to take uh, to take the supermajority. But again, that's one vote. So that's just one Democrat that Republicans need to flip or convince to take a walk uh, when there's a floor vote to change the dynamics of that three fifths majority. So the total numbers change depending on on who's there. So that's a big deal. And what uh, Berger and Moore, obviously, Berger got the supermajority in his chamber. He was a little you know, a little happier today than than Speaker Moore. But of course, it's still a win for Moore because his chamber is still a majority. He's still Speaker of the House. Both Berger and Moore said they want to retain their leadership positions, which are, you know, determined by the caucus. But he doesn't have exactly what um, what what their goal was. So it was a bigger win for the Senate. But it's a lot closer than it was last session. So I've got a story that I already posted today where they filled us in on all the big issue questions that we asked, like abortion, uh, tax cuts. Are you going to do anything about inflation? Basically, no. Inflation was a voter driver at the federal level, but at the state, they don't see that there's anything that they would do aside from the tax cuts that are already in place and already planned. And uh, Berger wants more of those than, than the House. So, They also had their comments about the results of the state Supreme Court race, which we'll continue to write about because that's a big change here. So, Will Doran, you're a man on the courts. Uh, Tell us the big news from there and what this actually means. Yeah, uh, big news. Um, Republicans have flipped control of the state Supreme Court uh, for the first time since uh, Democrats flipped it back in 2016. Uh, So it's been six years of Democratic control. Uh, we are now in for, uh, I believe, looking at the uh, the math, at least another six years of Republican control. The next time a Republican held seat is up is in 2028. Um, so that's the, the soonest that Democrats could potentially flip it back. Um, obviously, we have 
a presidential race, um, two presidential races in there, um, and a whole lot more. Uh, of course, the court doesn't just do political things. Uh, court does a whole lot, uh, but this is a political podcast, so we're going to focus on the political implications of what the court can do. And the biggest thing there, obviously, is gerrymandering and redistricting. Um, you saw in this race, um, if you've seen TV at all in the last couple of months, you've seen Supreme Court ads saying, you know, oh, you know, these Republican candidates are going to be terrible for abortion. Oh, these Democratic candidates are siding with rapists and just all these, you know, really you know, very inflammatory attack ads. All of those were paid for by groups that don't really actually care about crime and those sorts of issues. They're all just paid for by groups that are interested in redistricting. Uh, that are affiliated with the the parties up in D.C. And they were dropping millions of dollars into this race to make sure um, that they could have uh, their their folks on the bench uh, the next time that a uh, gerrymandering lawsuit comes up in North Carolina. So um, and, you know, it it really goes back to, you know, a lot of what uh, Will and Danielle were talking about earlier with the congressional races. Um, You know, last night. We saw North Carolina completely evenly split the U.S. House seats. We've got 14 seats. Republicans won seven. Democrats won seven. And, you know, I think if you look at the Senate race results, you know, Ted Budd won, what, 50 percent, maybe 51 percent. You know, so we are more or less split statewide. Those congressional races were split statewide, too. Um, But those House races were all court ordered by the Democratic Supreme Court earlier this year when it found that the legislature's maps were unconstitutional. The Republicans on the Supreme Court all dissented against that and said that they would not have found the GOP's maps unconstitutional. They would have let the GOP, uh, the the state legislature, uh, draw the maps that they wanted. And the maps that they wanted were a 10 to 4 Republican split. Um, So going forward, probably for the next few elections, we're probably going to see the legislature come back next year, redraw the congressional maps again, um, potentially the state legislative maps, too. That's a little bit of an open question at this point, whether or not those are going to get redrawn. Um, but the congressional maps are definitely getting redrawn. And we would expect those to probably uh, be put back at a 10-4 advantage for Republicans and uh, probably be allowed to stay by the, the new Republican majority on the state court. I just realized that I didn't answer Danielle's uh, mention about the uh, the maps and the district. So lemon on coffee and the uh, diet sun drop here, folks. So um, I, I asked Berger and Moore, one of the other reporters in the gal, I can't remember, um, maybe it was me, uh, about the December session because Moore has been flo- floating that he wants it and maybe it'll be Medicaid expansion. Spoiler alert, it's not. Maybe it'll be redrawing congressional maps. Spoiler alert, it's not because Berger answered the question first saying that he plans to spend December asking Santa Claus for his Christmas wish list, not hanging out with Moore at the legislature, and Moore agreed. So that's the end result of that. There's going to be no legislative session um, about, well, in December at all and anything. Medicaid expansion is still on the table. It's been on this table for, I feel like, a century. Uh, but there's not going to be any map drawing until the legislative long session, which gavels in in January and then votes basically in, in February. But, um, Will, another thing that they mentioned was that Leandro is not something that they agree with. So uh, what's the factor now with the Supreme Court in that case? Yeah, um, you know, 
the the Leandro case um, is this long running dispute over education funding, and it recently just uh, I think just a couple of days before the election um, ended in a huge uh, win for the plaintiffs at the state supreme court. Um, again, in a purely party line ruling, you know the all the Democrats ruling for it, all the Republicans dissenting um, that said basically the legislature needs to spend hundreds of millions of dollars more on public schools just to meet the state's constitutional guarantee of a basic public education for all children. Um, And so Republicans, like you said, Don, not happy about that. They do not like being told that they are, you know, failing the kids. They think that they have been spending enough money on public schools and also don't think that the court even has the power to tell them what to do about this. Um, So it's a it's a big open ended question about what happens next. The kind of the technical way that it happened is the Supreme Court said, OK, Republican lawmakers, you need to spend all these hundreds of millions of dollars more. But to figure out exactly how much more it needs to be, we're going to send this back down to the trial court to figure it out. So since it's going back to trial, that you know kind of means that whatever the trial court says has the potential to be appealed. and head back to the Supreme Court, which by the time it gets back to the Supreme Court, will have a new Republican majority. And there's probably a pretty decent chance that the Republican majority will um, undo what the, the Democrats just ruled here a couple of days ago. Obviously, we don't know that yet. Um, but, you know, considering that all of the Republicans currently on the court dissented against it, um, it's probably a pretty safe assumption uh, that that ruling is not long for this world. Well, buckle up, everybody. <laughs> Any last uh, parting uh, notes that we need to tell people today about the election for many of you all? I love Election Day. All right. Danielle loves elections. Don, can you tell, tell us about the just quickly about the veto? I mean, with that, uh, with the with the supermajority in the Senate, are there any Democrats that can pull on their side in the House and override a veto? What's this? What's the status of that? Well, there are more moderates in both chamber, chambers or there were. We're talking about those that left the state Senate to run for Congress and those uh, Democrats included um, Davis, who's who's got, I guess, really just Davis. He's one of the four. But Ben Clark, who didn't win his race, was also one of the moderates. The third one is Kirk Devier, the Democrat who holds the seat, who got primaried by Cooper, the Democrat that that won the primary um, she has that seat. She won Applewhite, so that stays a Democratic seat, but she is not on the more moderate spectrum as far as we've seen so far. That's to be determined. And then Paul Lowe is the only one that's returning, but he's changed his vote uh, if Cooper asked him to. So in the Senate, I'm not seeing it as much. Senate Democratic leader uh, Dan Blue told me a few months ago he sees the Senate Democratic caucus as moderate anyway, so it could depend potentially on the issue. But, you know, overall, they always stand with Cooper. The House is just a fun, rowdy wild card with a lot of people. And they've lost some of the moderate Democrats. Billy Richardson, Cumberland didn't run again. Brian Farkas in Pitt lost his race last night. So some of the others are still around. So it's really, you know, up for grabs, depending on some of the issues too, especially if there's a bill about abortion. But just as I was writing this story before we started recording, Berger said that they still haven't talked to the caucus exactly about what abortion restrictions would be if they do anything at all, he said. And the law stands at 20 weeks now, which is more restrictive than other places and obviously quite a bit less than other places. So 
So we'll see. It's all really going to depend on who's on the floor any given day and when they want to call the votes and how you're going to whip those votes. So, all right. Well, um, thanks for listening to our special bonus episode of Under the Dome. I'm Don Vaughn for Danielle Battaglia, Will Wright, and Will Doran. We'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.